Has it ever happened to you? You hear a phrase or a song you've heard a hundred times, or you pass by a sign that on any other day is so unexceptional you barely notice it. But on this day, for some unexplainable reason, that phrase, that song, or that sign hits you differently. Something sticks and you can't stop thinking about it. Well, it happened to me today. And it was just a small wooden sign, unremarkable and difficult to see by the side of the road. But I saw it. Rise and shine. Then I couldn't unsee it. And I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do with it until I did. I'm recording this episode on Friday, June 24th. We're almost six months into 2022, and in the United States, there have been almost 250 mass shootings. There's a war in Ukraine, a war on truth and science. Both inflation and racial tensions are at levels not seen in decades. Glaciers are melting, and precious resources are disappearing due to the effects of climate change. There. I think that about covers the headlines. But don't go. I got some other headlines I think you should hear. Through the deployment of huge fog nets, they're bringing drinking water to hundreds of thousands of villages in remote areas of Africa, where villagers can now irrigate their fields and feed their families. Libraries all over the state of New York are giving away 500,000 books to kids this summer in an effort to foster reading. And in the city of Houston, they found a way to place 25,000 members of their homeless population into apartments of their very own. And in Italy, a company called Mold, of all things, just invented a low-cost, low-impact solution that can be deployed in rivers all over the world to collect plastic before it reaches our oceans. That's pretty cool, right? But if you're watching the major news outlets, they won't tell you any of this good stuff. They'll tell you things are bad. Horrible, in fact. They'll tell you we're divided and the rift is only growing deeper. And they'll repeat this narrative in various iterations every single day. But we're not getting the whole picture because the news will only show us the negative side of the story. It's what we want. You see, we humans, we're a strange bunch. We're drawn to the negative side of the story and we can't look away. The negativity bias, as it's known, is hardwired into our brains. And because of it, we gravitate towards and hold on to negative stories and events and dismiss the positive ones. I wasn't familiar with negativity bias either, but let's go back a bit to explain. Okay, let's go back a really long way to the caveman days, back when life was simple. There were carrots and there were sticks. The carrots, food, sex, and shelter. The sticks, saber-toothed tigers, injury, and death. And if you planned on reaching the legal drinking age, you had better pay close attention to those sticks. After decades and decades of research, today's psychologists have discovered that the carrots and sticks weren't just exacted on us externally, they were processed internally as well. And they surmised that through hundreds of millions of years of evolution and programming, negative emotions, negative feedback, and negative people, the sticks, had a bigger impact on our psyche than the carrots. To put it in layman's terms, Susie Cavewoman was sexy and all, but saber-toothed tiger bites are nasty. To the human brain, positive experiences fade like smoke rings, while negative experiences stick like Velcro. 
even when the negative experience is insignificant. Think about all the compliments you've ever received throughout your life. How many of those do you remember? Now think of the one hurtful snide comment that someone made about you. It might have been 20 years ago. It might have been in grade school, but I bet you remember the comment, and I bet you remember who said it. Media outlets know that we humans are attracted to negativity like magnets to cold steel. And that's the reason every story you see these days seems to be full of nothing but doom and gloom. It keeps us watching. It stops the scroll. Intense content designed to elicit strong emotions or rage is really good for business. You know the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. And while that sentiment has been around for over a century, the actual phrase didn't really come into use until the late 1890s when two newspaper moguls, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, went head-to-head in an all-out media war to grow readership and advertising revenues. Pulitzer and Hearst goaded and manipulated the American public with endless fabricated and overly embellished stories about Cuba's battle for independence from Spain. The final straw being Hearst's unsubstantiated claim that Spain was responsible for the sinking of the USS Maine in Havana Harbor. After that, President McKinley had no option but to go to war with Spain in what is widely viewed as America's first press-driven war. Do you find it as ironic as I do that the Pulitzer Prize is awarded today for achievements in journalism? I guess achievement doesn't necessarily correlate to ethical or truthful, but I digress. You might have heard the term as it was known back then, yellow journalism. Today we're far less creative. We just call it fake news. And just like back then, we still have media moguls pushing personal agendas. The difference is our delivery system today is way more efficient. It's far more graphic. It comes to us in high def and it's fed to us on a 24-hour loop. Recent studies have shown that consuming so much negativity on a daily basis has a negative effect on the entire community's perception of the world overall. It gives us the false impression that things are far worse than they really are. People who watch the news during and after a tragic event are far more likely to experience symptoms of PTSD than someone who's not paying such close attention. And none of this should come as a shock. If you drink 12 cans of Coca-Cola every day, you might expect a negative effect on your health. It's the same when you consume negativity. It seems like common sense, doesn't it? So why do we keep engaging? Maybe because it's easy. Social media makes it so easy to post our thoughts, opinions, and reactions that it's almost become an involuntary response to give our opinions when tragic events occur. Toss in hefty doses of modern-day cynicism, and the mixture becomes volatile. Cynicism in concert with the negativity gives us all the impression that because nothing has changed in the past, nothing will change in the future. You see, back in the 50s and 60s, cynicism was actually a useful tool that a lot of artists used to dismantle some of the myths floating around, like America being the land of equal opportunity. The idyllic life put forth by shows like Leave it to Beaver and The Brady Bunch were projected against the backdrop of the civil rights movement in the Vietnam War. Comics like Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, and Richard Pryor did important things through the use of cynicism, and they made a lot of people necessarily uncomfortable. But by the time the late 90s rolled around, all of our cultural and political myths had been exposed and blown to bits countless times, to the point it was just being rehashed 
until shows like South Park came along and just ridiculed everything. Before his untimely death in 2008, author and English professor David Foster Wallace wrote at length about the effects of negativity and cynicism on our culture. His main assertion? Once your social foundations have been blasted apart with no offerings of solutions or redemption, everyone's just left standing around saying, now what? Today, few artists have the balls to talk about what comes after the teardown, possibly because they're afraid of a backlash from all those staunch cynics out there. You see, it's easy to blast everything apart from a position of pseudo-enlightenment. It's much harder to critique constructively and then offer solutions or hope. And solutions and hope aren't being offered because solutions and hope aren't sexy. They don't sell. And if you ain't selling, you ain't going to be around for long. Now, there's a small part of me that relates to and identifies with the cynic, and I don't like it. Mostly from my younger days when I thought I was smarter and more enlightened because I could poke fun at everything. And I did. But looking back at it from here, the 30,000-foot view, it was just because I was terribly insecure and afraid to be seen as soft, or, even though I probably didn't know what it exactly meant at the time, overly sentimental. Things changed when I began to write music. It's amazing what happens when you listen back to your own voice. A voice infused with your fears and insecurities, no matter how hard you tried to disguise them. Lately, I've been paying close attention to what I truly think, feel, and say. I hold on to thoughts longer. Is it truthful? Is it helpful? Does it need to be said at all? Which is ironic, because my younger cynic self or any of today's professional cynics in observance would absolutely castrate me for being overly sentimental, unsophisticated, and disingenuous. I'll take the judgment. Because I'm tired of the weary, life-torn, sarcastic cliques posting their ironic, trendy rebellion on Instagram for all the world to follow along. The endless, witless political punch and counterpunch, non-denial, denial, just say it so many times that the untruth becomes truth. And while I'm not surprised, I'm disappointed our media conglomerates refuse to change the narrative or elevate what's been the steady descent of journalism, air quotes, journalism. Before he died, Wallace stated that the antidote to cynicism might very well be sincerity, the quality of being free from pretense, deceit, or hypocrisy. What a concept. I think he was on to something. Maybe the way we combat, and I use that word hesitantly because the last thing we need in this world is more combativeness. So instead, I'll stick with Wallace's word, antidote. What if the antidote to negativity and cynicism were as simple as sincerity and optimism? Add to sincerity and optimism a bit of curiosity, compassion, and a healthy dose of respect, and we just might have something. Knowing the science behind negativity bias and a little about the power it wields over us, complex beasts that we are, is huge when it comes to counteracting its effects. Once we know what's happening, we can stop the thoughts and process our emotions objectively. And what if we simply reduced our negativity consumption and reset, actively contradicting an exaggerated narrative? What if we stop doom-scrolling and posting our opinions to platforms that have never actually solved anything? If we ramped up the exchange of ideas rather than dial up the rhetoric even further? Does that all just sound too easy? 
I don't mean to be Pollyanna or pretend that we don't have serious problems. We do. But what would it look like if we tried being infinitely human with all of our flaws, risked being overly sentimental and, dare I say it, hopeful when we talked about the problems we face? If instead we stepped out into the world and took it at face value? There's a famous story I read years ago and I continue to revisit. I've clung to it many times over the last few years as a buoy on those difficult days when I wasn't as successful as I'd hoped to be at keeping the negativity at bay. It's a story that involves A.J. Must, a Dutch-born clergyman and political activist best remembered for his work within the labor and civil rights movements and a very close friend of Dr. Martin Luther King. The story takes place on a night when Must was standing in front of the White House in protest of the Vietnam War. A reporter asked him, do you really think you're going to change the policies of this country by standing out here alone at night in front of the White House with a candle? And Must replied, Oh, I don't do this to change the country. I do this so the country won't change me. We may not have the power to change the negative narrative, but we definitely have the power to keep ourselves from being changed by that narrative. And how do we accomplish this task on the micro level as individuals? It's so clear now. The answer was right in front of my face. We rise and shine. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe or follow us on your favorite platform. And spread the word because this show doesn't go anywhere without you. Find us at themindunset.com and on Instagram at themindunsetpodcast. My guest next week just won the Photography World Cup. And Joseph Ruiz Chayeres sat down with me in person to talk about his once-in-a-lifetime photo. The people was very excited, just screaming. And we was like, what is happening? And the captain, he told me, Pepe, you're going to take the photos from the Palagosa? It's right now or never. It was maybe 40 seconds. I mean, it was very fast. And I never saw that again. Pepe, as he's known to his friends, and I'm honored to fall into that category now, took some additional time to bust my stones for my bad Spanish. You're not going to want to miss it. But until next week, be nice and do good stuff.